Did you ever wake up and realize how did I overcome so much in my life? Well, yes, I have and I am so grateful for it. Every day that goes by, I have learned that life is about growth. The more you grow, the more success you will have. In this podcast, I interview women that have battled against the unthinkable and have found the power within to succeed through it. Join me in my journey as I share these amazing stories of women rising above it all. Hello, and welcome back to The Power Within. This week, I'm excited to bring on our guest, Sharon Cohen. Born and raised in Israel, she served two years in the Israeli military and 10 years of defense work in her field, in field security, where she received a certificate of excellence in the role. In 2013, following an accident, her life turned upside down. This led to her intense research into how to deal with chronic pain, cultivate courage, and overcoming fear. Sharon recently released her book, Become Brilliant Roadmap, From Fear to Courage. Welcome, Sharon. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm excited to get to, get to know you more. I know we spoke last week, and... Um, and you released your book last week, right? Congratulations to you. Thank you. Uh, it went really well. Uh, the book hit bestseller in uh, multiple categories in the United States, in Canada, and uh, also in Germany. That is so. amazing. That is amazing. Now, now, was that like exciting, nerve-wracking? Tell me about that. Um. Well, it was exciting because it's exciting to give my message, uh, but uh, it was like a game, actually. I, it's like I start, we started the lunch, and I was very calm about that. It was like I felt that everything is going to be very relaxed, very fine. And then uh, I hit bestseller in Canada. And then at the same time, like a few minutes later in the United States in one category and then another one and another one. And then we started to look where in the world we, uh, I'm getting like bestseller. And then I got one in Germany and I got to number four in uh, the UK. So it was all very exciting. It was like watching a game. Ah, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, pin, 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 so. pin. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Absolutely. It was very fun. Well, um, I would love for you to share with our listeners about your um, military time in Israel and how that um, that had an effect on you and your upbringing. Okay. Uh, well, everybody here in Israel, when we reach 18 years old, we draft to the military and we serve two years mandatory. And um, growing up in Israel... Uh, for us, it's an honor to serve the country uh, because we have suffered from terror since I remember myself, basically, and way before that as well. And um, just by being able to protect and to serve and to uh, give back your part in the, for this country, that is very important and uh, it gives us a lot of values as well because we like i know that many places in the world you can find 25 year olds 30 year olds that are still spoiled in a way or still not very capable to deal with their own life and uh here once we are 18 
uh, we learn how to cope with everything. You are on your own, but you are also part of a team. You are also part of a country. So, but it's not about your parents. And not, uh, you can't run to your mom or to your dad and tell them, oh, my command told me that and that. No one cares. <laughs> it's uh, deal with it. So um, it makes you grow re really fast and it makes you very independent. Um, and that is a very, very important life lesson as well because when you are on your own and you don't live under your parents' roof and you don't have your mom to cook for you or someone to do stuff for you and sometimes things happen in life that you need to know how to deal with. And, yeah, you're, um, you're now responsible to take the reins of your own life. <laughs> absolutely. And not only your own life, you're also responsible for your teammate. And oh, yes. And if something happened, you need to be the one who gives them the first aid. And you have to be the one um, to spot something before it happens. And you have to be the one uh, to lead everyone else. Uh, I had 42 soldiers under my command uh, while I served. And they were my responsibility. They parent they parents gave birth to them, but while they're in the military, if they're sick, if they're having any issues or problems or something that uh, can distract them from the mission, uh, and I'm not only talking about uh, battles or something uh, heavy. Sometimes your mission is just to make sure that you are looking at the screen to make sure there are no... Um, plans coming into the Israeli um, air, air boundaries right or uh, or sometimes borders sorry or uh, sometimes it's um, it can be even uh, just to make sure that every soldier in the military have food mm -hmm. uh, we have several and various uh, jobs in the roles. military mm -hmm. soldiers yeah we have a lot of roles there but um, Sharon, I'm sorry, um, before I lose my train of thought here, uh, now, as far as a, as a woman in the military, is it any different or was it any different for yourself? Because I know that you also ranked and you said that you were, were, um, responsible for 42 other people, other people. So can yeah. you share about that a little? Absolutely. Um, there is a difference like in every other place, like in every other job. And especially in the military, um, most of our men goes to serve as uh, warriors and they are in a def different ranks and uh, they have different skills as well. And it's not... And sometimes it's... Um, it can be tricky because if you have someone who have more power than you and uh, if you take a warrior and you take a secretary, then sometimes the warrior is more important because he is the one who actually doing the physical work to protect. And the secretary, maybe she, she does a lot. Maybe she, she's the one that get the intelligence. Maybe she's the one who 
she does a lot, but she still will be in several in different positions from the warrior. And um, for example, in the Air Force, now we have uh, female pilots, but back then it was something brand new also about warriors. We didn't have female warriors when I started the military. It was, uh, it was just, no, basically it was, I think just that year that I started, they allowed uh, for women to be in some uh, course, but not all of them, just a specific one that they knew that it will, will be possible. Or also like uh, in the Navy, submarine, you can't send female soldiers, a soldier to that tiny box basically uh, with uh, 40 men or 50 men or 100 men um, that will create a lot of problems uh, between especially if they're out for a month or three weeks of mission that can create a lot of problems so of course there is always and there will be always in all kinds of place a uh, different power of course uh, but um, what that I can say about the Israeli military that we are very stick to our values each and every soldier has in his pocket uh, the value of the Israeli military and he have to have it with him it's like you can't leave the house without if you can't leave out the house without your weapon. You cannot leave the house without uh, your, the core values of the Israeli military, and you have to know them. Uh, and um, like one of the things that it's written there, that even if your own command commander giving you a direct command to do something, but that something isn't ethical or human or um, not aligns with the military value, this is the only time that you are allowed and you must refuse. If you won't refuse, you will be a criminal as much as the other person that asks you to do that thing. Wow. So uh, we are, our values are very important to us uh, as soldiers. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, like every other place in the world, there will be always uh, exceptions but uh, I know that the military do treat it very severely when, when we know about any cases that are not aligned with the values of uh, the military. And this is one of the most important lessons that I had to educate my soldiers. Uh, because sometimes when you live in a country that you suffer from terror, I lost two cousins uh, for terror. And in two, in two different attacks so sometimes when you uh grow up as a child and you feel that uh your enemies uh, or the people that there will be always someone who's trying to kill you everyone hates you everyone wants to harm you so you become resentful towards them as well because you're trying to protect yourself in a way but um once you get to the military, even if as a child you think that way and as a young adult you still think that way, 
once you get to the military, you understand what human means. You understand what is uh, values and uh, that you are a part of a team and you have to keep each other safe. And it's not only with battles, it's also when uh, my soldiers and the, at the end of every week they got to go back home. Um, they, each and every one of them, texted me when they got home. So I know they are safe. But, uh, and if someone didn't, then I would have called him. Um, Sharon, but, uh, what made you... Um... What made you transition into the self-defense and um, field security? Okay, so after two years of military, uh, I done my service and um, I decided to go to Italy, to Rome, and studied medicine. And I have for uh, four years, actually. And when I started to study there, I needed an income because I couldn't relate. Uh, my father already died when I was 17 years old. I'm sorry. And, thank you. And uh, my mom uh, couldn't afford all these, those expenses. So I, I had to take care of myself. If I wanted to study, I had to pay for everything, including uh, my food, my um, um, Your living. rent. Yeah. yeah, everything about my living and and the study and the books and everything. So um, because of my military background, I was able to apply to a job that uh, is for the Israeli airline, but actually it's also based by uh, our country. It's not only, I am an airline employee, but my training will be also uh, from the government. Uh, so, because I lost two cousins in terror, for me that was like a mission. Uh, because my job was to protect people from terror in aviation, to prevent those kind of things from happening. And um, for me, it was a mission. It was something that I wanted to keep people safe. I wanted them to be able to get home to their um, their own children, families, and friends. And I just applied to that job, and um, I got the the job. And um, I keep progressing there, and uh, got other ranks and. Uh, other jobs opportunities and um, I stayed there because it was very comfortable as well for a long time um, it was a great paycheck um, I was traveling all the time uh, luxurious hotel so you really live a very high level like very fancy life in a way but you get to protect people which is like great uh, the <laughs> The, the best uh, thing that can that I can ask. Um, and, 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 and in what way did you have to protect them when you were traveling? Um, it wasn't when I was traveling. I had to reach a certain country. For example, uh, if I was living in Rome and there will be, uh, there is um, an Israeli flight landing 
in Rome and then taking off later with passengers. So before the plane lands, we had to make sure there are no bombs or there are no uh, terrorists with a shoulder missile that will try to uh, shoot down the plane while he's uh, uh, taking off or uh, landing. Okay. So um, we have to make sure that uh, every person that works uh, for example, even the cleaners that need to clean the aircraft, I need to know they're not leaving something to someone or I need to know. So we had to make sure that no one can do something that might harm the flight or the passengers. Um, and um, that is just a very, very small part of the job because we also had to... Uh, talk with people, to profile people people in a way. But uh, it wasn't like the normal profiling that most people have in mind. It was more about um, knowing if there, there is any risk from them to, um, to the flight or to the people, to the passengers. Right. So it's a lot of um, questioning and a lot of uh, body language and uh, to know how to listen to the tone of voice and to uh, understand what the person is saying and to know if you will ask him a few questions that might be confusing and to see the reactions and all kinds of tactics that, um, that you are trying to see if that person is a risk or it's safe. Got it. Well, it sounds like you had a very important role. And, and thank you for, for doing it because um, we need we need people like you to to keep to, to keep our world safe, you know. Absolutely, um, yeah. So tell us tell us what happened in two thousand thirteen. Um, I drove back from school. I was studying architecture at the time because I quit med school and I came back to Israel and studied architecture. And, um, and I drove back home. I had a flight to London that night. And uh, basically, I drove back home. And in one of the intersections, uh, someone ran a red light uh, with their truck. And he hit me head on. Yeah. And uh, it's not that, they had, that the traffic light just turned green for me. He, it was already green. Like, cars were rising and I was I wasn't rising for I'm lucky that I uh very lucky that I came into that intersection very slow because he hit me head on and um I broke uh, some bones in my chest two bones in the head in the hand uh, I had a head injury neck injury and lower back injury um and instead of Going to London, I went to the hospital that night. So, um, and I was expected to heal. It wasn't the first time that I was injured. Um, I broke bones before in my life. So it didn't seem like something that it would take too long to heal. But even after the bones healed, uh, I was still in a lot and lots of pain uh, and it wasn't normal. I knew that is not supposed to be that way. Um, 
I was exhausted from pain and I couldn't sleep. I was diagnosed with CRPS, which is a complex regional pain syndrome in my right hand. And um, with PTSD, with the post-trauma stress disorder. And I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares all the time. Uh, every time that I fell asleep, I had nightmares. Uh, and I couldn't function well. And I couldn't think because of my head injury. My head always hurt. So everything was very, very painful. And from a a very strong person, very capable person, a person that traveled all over the world to protect people. I became someone who had to call my own cousin to come and switch uh, the light bulb uh, because I couldn't do that myself. I was in too much pain. I could barely walk, but I didn't want to that anyone will notice that I'm in that much pain because um, people always expected high expectation of me. Like my family, they, I was always successful in school and uh, uh, I was a, a successful athlete as a young, young adult. And I was always like in the military and in defense work. And I was, was always strong. Um, and even if I was, if I got injured before, no one even knew something about it because you kept yeah. it to yourself. Yeah, I, I didn't need it anyone to help me or something like that. I, or I had too big ego to ask for help. I can say that. I am so glad that you said that because other people can relate to that. You know, um, and what would you tell somebody right now that has a too much of a big ego? Well, uh, when you think from your ego and uh, you basically think from fear, so however you look at that, you are losing if you are doing that. Uh, because when we are thinking from fear, we are, concerning, uh, we are concerned that people would judge us or uh, maybe we will fail if we will try or... Um, anything like it but if you don't try and if you don't get the help and sometimes unless someone else shows you the way you won't be able to find it you won't be able even to look at it or to see it because you are focusing on something else and you can't see what is right in front of you it's like sometimes when we leave the the car keys on the table or in some place that we are not used to, maybe we are used to put it in the drawer and we are looking for it in the drawer and we know that we think with that it must be there because we are it always there. Uh, but once we take a step back and we look at the whole picture, we can see where the keys are. Because right. until then, if we are sure that there are in the drawer, we won't find it. Um, so sometimes we do need to take a step back and uh, we do need to gain a different perspective. And when you are in too much pain and you are suffering, most people see more suffering and more pain and more misery. And um, just by having someone 
to tell you, okay, look, but what about that? Look at that. That can right. be an option. And there are always, always many, many options. There are. But sometimes we decide that that's it. Like my life is over or uh, that's it. Uh, I can't do that anymore. But there are so many options. So what did you do next um, with all that pain? Um, well, I was in a lot of pain and suffering for about five years, like in severe suffering. I was a torture. And um, I went to doctors and I went to every kind of treatment they um, recommend me to. Uh, pain clinic, physiotherapy, every kind of therapy that you can think of. I done it, <laughs> um, and um, and um, actually, I just decided that I don't want to live that way. And my first thought was to kill myself, so I started to plan for that, and I planned everything, including grave money including like I had a saving that I used to call grave money because I realized that every time that I'm waking up in the morning, this is like the saddest thing for me mm. because I know that I have a whole day of pain and a lot of pain and suffering. Mm. And I know that I have, then I have a night of nightmares and um, just feeling helpless and I just didn't want it to live anymore I lost every interest of anything and I was still working and I was still doing everything and functioning like um, not in the defense work I switched jobs I finished my architecture study then I became an architect and I worked and I still am working in an office uh, but um, I decided to do stuff in a different level and uh, but I was still in a lot of pain and every time that I came back from work I lay lay down on the couch or sometimes on the floor because like I couldn't even get to the couch <laughs> uh, and I stay still for hours until I couldn't move again wow and my body was in so much pain because I gave all my energy in those hours that I had to be at work and everything was so much painful. Right. That I I also in our conversation last week, you mentioned that you were on a medicine, like they had given you lots of different medicines, right? Yeah. Uh, I was on uh, at least 12 different pills. Uh, I got uh, four pills for and uh, the nerve system pain and uh, another four painkillers and uh, for my back, for my neck, for my head, um, a pill for PTSD, a pill for sleep, uh, another uh, pill for my blood pressure because all that pain and all the stress and uh, how that I felt about myself, I felt worthless. I felt like I lost my identity because I couldn't done anything that I wanted to do. And um, 
I just, I couldn't live that way anymore because my body, all those pills really damaged my immune system. And I started to get sick every 10 days, two weeks, for a week, for two weeks. So I was sick very often. And uh, um, when I'm saying sick, like the last time that I was sick, I was uh, five weeks with uh, 104.6 fever for five weeks. And no doctors with antibiotics, with uh, um, all those kind of medicine that's supposed to... Uh, like uh, paracetamol and, and stuff like that. With that, I was still in high, with very high fever. And uh, my doctor told me, and I didn't want to go to the hospital because I don't like it. <laughs> like, no one likes who, it. Who likes the hospital? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, and I was always like, I can deal with pain. I can, I can take it. I would stay at home. I can take it. I'll, I'll be fine. Um, so I just decided, uh, my doctor told me, look, you are going to the hospital. There is no argue here. You have to go. So, uh, he sent me to the hospital. They did a CT scan from my head to toe and they found out an ammonia that they didn't saw in the x-rays. Um, and that ammonia should, I should have taken a specific type of antibiotics. Okay. The other antibiotics didn't help me. Right. Um, so my body was ill very often and uh, I was very weak. So as I said, I didn't want it to live anymore. And I planned everything and I was completely ready and I wanted to make sure that everything is ready. And for me, like getting ready was I didn't want that other people will pay for my mistakes because I felt that in so many places in my life that I paid for someone else's <clears throat> sorry for someone else's deeds or for someone if someone did something to me then uh, I had to live with those consequences um, and just I decided to kill myself and um, just before I actually like the date came or whatever um, a friend of mine killed himself mm. and uh, I had no idea like no one had no idea that he had any trouble because from the outside he looked great like he was living in this big house he had several businesses very successful uh drove a maserati and uh like every, had his own kids and everything so everything seemed like and he was always happy always smiling when we, like when i saw him always so it was like it's shocking fun. and it was very shocking and i uh, and i drove back home uh, his son actually called me uh, to tell me that uh, his father killed himself. And um, um, I drove back home and I kept thinking, why? Like, 
why what reason you have like you have money you have children you have family you have what is your reason to kill yourself and um and then the next question was was it your only option and then i started to ask myself that question is that your only option because pain with money for you my grave or for my funeral or for whatever it doesn't mean that people won't pay for my mistakes because uh i saw how devastating loss can be i saw how uh when my uncle when my aunt buried their two like uh different families yes uh but they buried their children because of terror and um you can see the effect on the family and you can see how when a person takes his own life and they don't even uh know why then how devastating it is for their children the, commu- the community the family members correct yeah um i totally i totally totally get that yeah um so you didn't want to burden them with that yeah and i decided just to find every single way that i can to find a solution um as a kid i people always told me that i was very smart i was very good at school i was very good with a lot of stuff so always people told me that i was smart but at that time i felt so stupid and i kept telling myself oh my god you are so stupid If I held a pen in my hand, but I have this problem in my hand and sometimes the pen slips, then you are stupid. You can't even hold a pen. Or uh, everything that was related to the physical condition that I was at, I kept telling myself, you're worthless, you are stupid. Um, you're so mentally, you were mentally beating yourself up yes. over the condition that you had. Yes. Um, so... I just decided to find I, I said I there's no way that I'm that I'm staying alive but I'm staying that way there's no way I have to find a solution and um, I just went back to science and went back to other stuff and tried so many stuff on myself and learned more and more And then I found out about personal development. And I realized, uh, even that, though that I've been like six years in therapy, in psychotherapy, I realized that there are so many unsolved traumas that I still have. And um, my body won't heal unless I will heal the source of the trauma. first um, and that's what I did I started to understand more about personal development and to invest more in myself and I took like um, I took all my great money and put it on personal development <laughs> I so, would say that that was the best investment <laughs> yes that brought you back to that brought you back to life absolutely definitely yeah was my best investment ever and I just had to um, 
once I realized how to diminish my own pain and how to solve trauma and how to shift my life rapidly. Uh, if, if I'm talking about six years of therapy and maybe one, one and a half, within one year of personal development, I was in a different place. Within two years about like now, I am in a total different place and I can see things from so many different perspectives and I keep doing that connection and finding more and more uh, option how to help people and how to help people heal from the in out, mm -hmm. not just to try to treat the symptom. Um, you actually need to learn how to heal. Right. Now, can you tell us uh, what is it that led you to write a book? Yes. Um, well, there is a phrase, um, in Italian that says, um, la parola vola, ma quello che è scritto, scritto. Uh, the words fly, but whatever is written, it's written. It stays. Yeah, it stays. Uh, so that is one thing. And I kept thinking about all the people that I've lost in my life and they had great stories like uh, one of the cousins that I lost for terror he was years in the military and he'd done such an amazing job and he was bright bright man and um, like all those people their stories stay with them and they are with them in the grave and sometimes we don't even realize how much we have to share with other people our stories can heal another person. Uh, if I know something, it doesn't necessarily means that another person already knows that, even though I think it might be something that everybody should know. But it doesn't work that way. If you right. don't look for those kind of answer, you won't get, you don't get it. You just won't get it ever. So true, so true, Sharon. So now, um, tell us, uh, tell the the listeners um, one thing that got you through your situation. Love, <clears throat> definitely love. Um, I found out that. It was my love for other people and my compassion to make sure that I don't cause another people to suffer. Um, so that is something that I took and I build myself on that. I build myself with love <clears throat> because there's the healing when we know how to love when we know how to forgive and when we show compassion uh we basically heal ourselves and it can be towards ourselves or towards other people it doesn't have to be just towards other people when i'm loving myself i'm healing myself when i'm forgiving myself 
I'm healing myself. So um, I just started to break each and every brick of the wall that I've built around me. And I had like a whole castle, not just a wall. So I, I had that. To act- yeah, I had to go and break brick by brick until I found a way to love myself in a way that even if someone will judge me, it doesn't bother me. I know this is not mine. I know exactly who I am. And if there is anything that someone else says that is bother me, then I need to look inside. I don't need to be angry about him. I need to look inside because if that touched me somehow, then I need to realize why. Correct. So now, um, would you, one thing that you would recommend also, you, you understand that love is what got you through. Now, what would you recommend for somebody that is suffering from PTSD? Um, stay present as much as you can because uh, when we have PTSD basically it's like when it starts at the beginning you can still stop it but once it gain momentum it's very very hard to stop it until you hit the ground and then you can pull yourself up and uh, by staying present I mean that I've learned that our senses, um, like usually if I feel that feeling that it's about to happen and uh, I know that it's already starting, then I'm saying five things that I can see, four things that I can hear, uh, three things that I can touch with different texture, texture like a shirt or a chair, or a wall, wall. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what, just feel different things. Um, Two things that I can smell and one thing that I can taste. And it's usually a lemon because a lemon has a very strong taste. So it's like you gave your brain a different mission. So it can uh, gain that momentum of thinking and overthinking about what happened. You gave the brain another mission and you're using your senses to stay present, then you stay present. Um, so, and this is just this, the SOS, like this is just what you do at the, the time. But actually you have to learn to control your own fears and to understand and to redefine fear. Because for me, fear, it's no longer fear. It's um, just an opportunity to have courage because you can have courage if you are not afraid. Courage is not overcoming fear. Courage is acting in spite of fear. Having fear and, and, and stepping forward. Yes. So PTSD, it's a form of anxiety. It's not exactly fear. Because there's a very big difference between fear and anxiety, which most people don't even realize. Because fear, it's immediate danger 
to yourself. If you walk out the street and you face a tiger, then this is what you are feeling at that moment. This is fear. Okay. This is uh, your body telling you run away. Um, so this is definitely fear. Right. But when you are starting to think about what if people judge me? What if uh, they make fun of me? What if someone, uh, what if I fail? Then here it's not fear. You are creating, no, none of us know what the future holds, right? We can't know. Uh, none of us knew that we're going to be months at home just from a virus and it will change our whole life. So we can't know what is going to happen. And certainly we can't read other people's minds. No. Can decide for another person if he will make fun of you or not. And if you will, fine, this is not your people. Right. Let him be. And your people will love what you are doing. We can only control what we can control. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to realize that None of us, I never met a person that I, that I actually asked him if he loves every single person that he's ever met. None of us love everybody that we ever met. So it doesn't, like, how can everybody love us? It's not possible. Some people will connect to you and some won't. But you need to find those connections that have, the love because love can really really grow and this is amazing i didn't even know that it is possible i had no idea how strong it can be and how big it can grow and i feel that it's growing and growing every day it's uh like Sharon, you share more of this in your book right yeah can you tell the listeners um where they can find it absolutely uh on amazon they can uh, search Become Brilliant, Shiran Cohen. And um, we can leave the link. Uh, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. And you can go and uh, buy the book. And the thing is that I wanted that book to be short because a lot of time we buy a book and we don't have, like, we read for two hours and then we we put it aside and we never go back to it. So I just needed to give to people a solution that they can start reading and finishing at once. And that's why the book is only like one hour long. Uh, so when people, and it's a roadmap, it's actually step by step to actually shift from fear to courage. Excellent. And where can you be found online? I have uh, a private Facebook book, um, group uh, for women who have faced any violence uh, to overcome fears of anxieties and to regain control of their life. Excellent. And I'll add that in the, in the link as well. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sharon, and sharing a bit about you. And I wish you much continued success for the year to come. And congratulations again on your book. And I believe that there's going to be another one too, right? Absolutely. I'm already writing the second one. Excellent.
Excellent, excellent. Well, we will be sure to have you on round two then. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. Take care now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Power Within. If you are a courageous woman and you would like to be a guest on my show, let's connect. Also, if you like what you heard, give it a rate and review. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any weekly episode.